I take us off the rails. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Are they in the proper approach pattern for today? Lightning fields, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dispatch Ajax. I'm Skip. I am Jake. He sure is. Now we're going to do our second part of subgenres of horror, obscure ones, especially ones you don't normally think about. So I'd like to start off with a little history so that we can lube it up a little bit so we can ease you in to the surprisingly complex and broad, let's just say broad. You know, we're fucking broad. Never call chicks broads. <laughs> Subgenre that is elevator horror. I know it might sound trivial or silly, but actually, it's relatively complex because it plays on a lot of base fears. So, so the earliest elevators were called hoists. Ooh, that's fun. That is fun. They were powered by human and animal power, so probably not great for the animal and probably a slave. Also, eventually, by hydraulic power. And now these go back to the 3rd century BCE. So we've been doing this for a while. We've been expended an inordinate amount of effort to be lazy. What we consider modern elevators were developed during the 19th century. These Cro-Magnon metal beasts slowly evolved from steam-driven to hydraulic power. Now, the first hydraulic elevators in the modern sense, were designed using water pressure as the source of power, which is the definition of hydraulic. I don't know why I copied that line. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> Sorry. And no, you should be. I think that elevators have been around longer. I, I seem to remember on the Flintstones that they had. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that was a documentary filmed long ago. So it was filmed in real time. It's a living. It's a living. <laughs> Starbucks, it's okay. She's having bad dreams. She's stuck in an elevator. Oh, she's living it up while she's going down. So, <laughs> of course, when, when motors became more prevalent in industrial applications, its use and popularity and function sort of exploded all over somebody's chest. The first electric elevator was built by the German inventor Werner von Siemens in, that's right, laugh it up, boys, in 1880. And then in 1889, the first commercially successful electric elevator was installed, and because before that, everyone just laughed at it, apparently. In 1887, going back in time a second, an electric elevator with automated doors that would close off the elevator was patented. This, of course, made elevators safer so that you don't just walk into an empty void to your ultimate demise. And Only then, I could. Because of a lot of the, the technological and industrial Innovations that occurred during World War II, elevators took a quantum leap to some other elevator's body to put right what once went wrong. So, Sam, I don't think I should be in this elevator. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Why does this elevator have to kiss another elevator? Oh, no, I'm, a, I'm black and I'm a boxer. What do I do? Also, I can't walk in these high heels. That's unrelated. 
It's it's true. Elevators have always had a tough time walking in high heels. It's the oldest story, really. Not great fashion sense either. And also, really, uh, I always thought it was elevated myself. Ooh, snap! Somebody sharpened that blade. You've got a rapist wit. I don't know. I watched a documentary not too long ago about elevator technicians and how it's a very common thing that I think it's something like 90% of all elevators in the world that have uh, closed door buttons. Those buttons are not either working or just not connected to anything. But nobody complains about it because when the elevator doors do close eventually on their own, that they think they've done something to do so. Kind of like a lot of those walk buttons on crosswalks. Most of them, you can push that button, but it's just going to change when it changes. Yeah, it's I, the illusion of, of agency. Right, yes, exactly. And I, I think that's funny that everyone thinks that it's... You might as well just, like, dispense candy, you know, which would make it more useful, because they don't do anything. Now, the reason this is a subgenre of horror is interesting, because... You think, well, how many stories can you come out of that? Like, why would that be all that scary? In reality, it's a, a rather surprisingly large subgenre being so specific because it plays on numerous fears that are all inherent to the human condition. Now, there is technically no recognized phobia of elevators. I mean, you could I'd make the argument, but really what you're doing is combining several other phobias when discussing elevators. Now, it's usually claustrophobia or agoraphobia. You know. Agoraphobia, of course, is the fear of being trapped in a situation in which escape would be difficult or impossible. That usually leads to a panic attack. If I remember right, also deals with the fear of the outside large wide open spaces because you, you're not in control of your immediate surroundings. And then ironically, or maybe, yeah, I guess I, I guess ironically, or maybe oxymoronically, the other fear that it plays on is claustrophobia, which is the fear of being in an enclosed tight space where you don't have control over your immediate surroundings. So Sounds like it, a good Saturday night to me. Does it? It's all right for fighting, so whatever. So it, it, people on both ends of that phobia are afraid of elevators in a lot of instances. As a relatively small and confined box, you can see how an elevator would be terrifying. But also with agoraphobia, not being able to control necessarily the direction or the function of the mechanical elevator is also terrifying. Now... One of the other factors that, that play into this are that a lot of phobias, specifically with elevators, are can be traced to a, a previous experience that had caused panic, fear, fright, uh, you know, a, a state of uh, panic and traumatic experience from, from the past. Those who have been stuck in an elevator, even for a short time, are more likely to develop a phobia of being in an elevator, but it doesn't need to necessarily even happen to you. Elevators, obviously, as per the episode, are prominently featured in horror movies, scary stories, uh, a lot of frightening pop culture moments, and it's exceedingly rare that something ever actually goes wrong in an elevator. They very rarely actually get stuck, and when they do, it's not usually a big deal. Statistically, elevators are safer than driving a car. 
like Superman said in, in Superman and then Superman Returns, statistically, it's still the safest way to travel. <laughs> but just vertically and inside a building. But, you know, when when those things are put into pop culture, put out there in the ether, they're oftentimes, you know, rebroadcast or seen again or rerun or you go to see the movie again. And so, like, if you're prone to that phobia that, that they're dangerous or they're something you can't control, and it just kind of, like, hypes itself up, even though nothing ever really happens in an elevator. So watching a scary movie, if you're prone to phobias like that, can cause a reaction that's just as real as you actually being in the scenario. It's a triggering event. That being said, on August 8th, 2021, Tony Liu, a resident of Omaha, Nebraska, found himself in an elevator in the worst possible scenario. It was something like out of a movie, Tony said. As a Saturday night storm dropped hail and brought flash flooding to the streets of Omaha, Lou and his two friends decided to leave their apartment and examine the damage outside on the street from his downtown apartment building, which is about half a mile from where I am right now. I recorded video. It was a flash flood. It came on suddenly with golf ball-sized hail. The Omaha area is extremely hilly. It's all like northwest Missouri. I'm on a ground floor apartment. I remember opening my door and looking out and the water was gushing over the sidewalk. And we were on a hill. <laughs> the enormous amount of water that the entire city got was mind boggling. So Lou and his friends climbed aboard the elevator around 10 p.m. And then when they reached the lobby, the water came gushing through the vents into the elevator before the doors could even open. It's wild. It was crazy. Once it got to my stomach, we kind of figured, okay, this is real, Tony said. He recorded a video of the incident, which clearly shows flood water at that point up to his shoulders. His friends in the elevator attempted to call 911, begged for help to come, because this happened in a matter of seconds. Thankfully, deus ex machina... Lou called his roommate, who happened to be a maintenance person for the building. During, and this is all caught on video. He said, quote, we might die if you don't come help us. Before first responders could even arrive, Lou's roommate, the maintenance guy, his brother, and a friend of theirs managed to take the stairs, go all the way down to the lobby, and physically pry open the doors, which weren't mechanically able to open on their own. And at that point, once again, all recorded on video, the water was up to Tony's chin. And wow. he was standing on the railing in the elevator. <laughs> I mean, they had literally just inches of air left before the ceiling. And then, thankfully, his roommate, brother, and friends opened the doors. All the water came pouring out like in The Shining, and flooded the entire lobby. He said, quote, I was swimming out. <laughs> Please, anyone who's listening, go watch the, the video. It is insane. It was like a movie. Thankfully, none of them were actually hurt, other than the trauma. Meteorologists, <laughs> including friend of the show, reported that three to five inches of rain fell in Omaha in about ten minutes. It would have been more, but the, the rain was just in the pool, so... 
<laughs> and I remember there were people stranded on the roofs of their houses or apartments. I remember watching cars pull up to stoplights and then drifting off to the side onto the median before yeah. it sort of snagged. So you could see why incidents like this would play into a vast number of phobias. It's actually a pretty terrifying possibility. And these things do happen. They're real. Now, like I said before, these are rare, very, very rare instances, but they do happen. So the subgenre of elevator horror is surprisingly diverse. Obviously, with any subgenre of horror, it's hit and miss, but it is rich with source material. So we're going to talk about some movies, why they play into different fears, and why those all still work, even though under an umbrella of elevators. So the first one is a movie called The Lift. Clever all marketing. Right. Seems, seems a bit on the nose, but uh, it's all right. Well, it's also known as Farstel des Grauens in German. You don't say. Oh, I'm no, not German, Dutch. That's Dutch. Yes, I did say, believe it or not. And that wasn't me hacking up a lung. It was Farstel des Grauens. What, what did I do wrong? I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like listening to German hip hop. You just like, I'm sorry. I don't, why are you yelling at me? Nine, uh, nine, nine, nine. It was released on the 4th of July in 1985, even though it was a Dutch film. Because of the way that the Netherlands work, which is really fascinating, they actually almost all also speak English as opposed to just the native Dutch language. So in movies that are from that part of the world, oftentimes they will switch back and forth with no subtitles or warning because they just assume everybody kind of knows both. And it, they do that conversationally, too. So it's re it's in both English and Dutch. IMDb gives it 6.2 stars, which is actually not bad for an IMDb rating. So picture it. Sicily, 1940. No, it's... <laughs> it's like I'm there. I saw it all. For everyone else out there, a lift is an elevator. In Europe, they call them lifts. And in Star Trek, they call them turbo lifts. I think they're trying to be more international since they're also interstellar. So in this, an elevator begins displaying erratic behavior. It could be Tourette's, I don't really know. For instance, trapping partygoers and nearly suffocating them. And then it decapitates a security guard. Red flag. Red flag. So, well, I mean, what was he wearing? Was he asking for it? Oh, that you're right. You're right. Shouldn't have been wearing those lifts. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, it's, it's part of his getup. He has to. Oh, yeah, you got to wear those big heeled ankle boots if you're going to be a security guard. I mean, that's that's well, just common sense. If you're sense. working in the lift, you got to have lifts. Exactly. I got this plot summary from IMDb, so this isn't me writing. I This is actually comes from somebody. I'm just – some places I'm paraphrasing, but this is how it was written. Felix, the technician from the lift company, can't find anything wrong with the circuitry. Okay. When he and a nosy reporter began asking questions of the Lyft company's electronics partner, Rising Sun Electronics, his boss puts him on a leave of absence. Wait, is this the Felix in the movie that's played by Hub Stapel? Probably. I if it's Felix, then yes. then yes. I only mention him because in another Dick Mass feature that I've actually seen, The Saint, where he plays like a murderous St. Nicholas, kidnapping and killing children. 
Well, are we talking uh, about the Saint, the adaptation of the TV show with Roger Moore starring Val Kilmer? Because <laughs> I don't remember any of that. It's all one and the same. <laughs> you just got to keep watching. It's the convergence. It's the singularity. <laughs> also in this in this plot summary, a subsequent visit to, to a professor leads them to believe that some evil experiments were being conducted with... Microchips! <gasps> that was in all no. caps. Yeah, that's it. The evil yeah. of the future, circa 1983. It's in microchips. Well, you, did you ever notice how in Cold War spy stuff, everything was on microfilm? Because that was a thing. I mean, it, yeah. there was a famous spy who snuck microfilm out of Nazi Germany. It had a bunch of Nazi secrets on it, recipes, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> this, um, this strudel is for... <laughs> and then, but th- it seems like writers after that, they just like a micro scribbles it out. Chips. <laughs> it's all the same thing. It's a microchip. Mm, like it's the same. Chips. <laughs> they didn't have to do anything else. Microfilm. No, no, no. It's... Microfiche? No, no, no. Microchips. There it is. All right. We can only smuggle this out on Laserdisc. <laughs> All those, like, those big RCA cartridges. Yes. The, it fits on my 8 millimeter. Here's some of the taglines for this film. Take the stairs. Take the stairs. For God's sake. Take the stairs. Three exclamation points. And here's a, one of the best quotes they had on IMDb from this film. The head waiter, obviously a huge role. These damn machines will be the death of us all someday. Fact. This is panning out as we speak. Elevators have been kicked into maximum overdrive. It is going to be the death of us all. Here's a review posted also. An engrossing urban thriller. Hmm, that's a loaded statement. An engrossing urban thriller in one environment we can't avoid. Well, I mean, you could always take the stairs, but whatever. It could easily have been silly, but it definitely is not. The last part, with Felix lit only by his industrial hand lamp in the enemy's own domain, which I mean, I guess is the elevator, is completely engrossing. The quite sparse music is eerily effective, and the photography is very good, as are the performances. Hmm. The dubbing is well done and convincing. Well, all right, you've already kind of convinced us otherwise with that statement. (laughs) Another winner from the Netherlands. About time we high-risers took the lift seriously. What is that? There's a lot going on there. I I, I don't even know where we start with that, but probably on the ground floor. I said it was made in the Netherlands, but here it says it's Dutch. I'm confused. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Holland is the Netherlands. Then who are the Dutch? So our second film is one that JQ and I are both very, very well acquainted with, and I think proves the variety and diversity of this subgenre. It's a little movie from 1997 called Cube. (gasps) Cube. No, that was a Cuban propaganda film. That's completely (laughs) different. It was directed by Vincenzo Natali, and it was written by Andre Bialik. Bialik. Vincenzo Natale and Graham Manson. Graham Manson. In this movie, six different people from diverse backgrounds and walks of life wake up to find themselves inside a giant cube, and it links to thousands 
of possible rooms. Now, each people in the party has a skill that becomes clear when they have to work together to escape. There's a cop, a math geek, an architect, a doctor, uh, an escape artist, which seems a little on the nose as well, and a disabled man. Hmm. <laughs> and each of them, of course, plays a key role into unlocking the mystery of the cube, which, uh, honestly, I feel like somebody just was playing with a Rubik's Cube and came up with an idea for a horror movie. And, of course, none of them huh. uh, knows why they're there. They don't know the rules of the cube itself. The rooms keep shifting as they're in. Jake, you remember cube. What What's your take on cube? I like it. It's a solid ramping up of the suspense, and you're trying to figure out what's going on as the characters are trying to move through and survive mm -hmm. and they get picked off kind of one by one, you know, as the, the truth of humanity must shine through. It's a little like it's got notes of lifeboat in that it's an ensemble cast and nobody knows who each other is and they're all suspicious of each other. It's also very similar in narrative framework as that great twilight zone episode. You know, which uh, one I'm talking uh, characters about. in search of an exit. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, where they, in fact, I, it's kind of exactly that. <laughs> Cube is exactly that that Twilight Zone episode, which, as you'll find with a lot of horror tropes, is kind of common. That they just took, they ripped off you know, Twilight well, Zone, like I mean, like Child's Play. And it's different between. I mean, there's there's ripoffs, and then there's utilizing oh. a trope um, to make something of equal or higher quality. I don't know the cube is higher quality than that. No, no, I'm just saying, I'm just saying it, right. it doesn't come across as a ripoff of that. It's taking, Fair. you know, similar concepts and doing their own thing to right. produce it, something new and enjoyable. Yeah, I would also say it's not homage even. It's actually, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just like, this is a proven framework that could be used in multiple applications. And, and it's, it's a fascinating idea. Now, Saw obviously takes a lot from that as well. But in sort of a more blunt, kind of dumbed down way, you know, in the way that Child's Play did from, you know, that episode of Twilight Zone. There is an element of almost the cosmic horror aspect of this, of its almost unknowable sci-fi. Yeah, because they're, like, like they're plucked from reality, put in this place. They don't understand how, why, what, and they're trying to get out. They can find out what happens at the end. Right, of course, it. yeah. But like the uh, yeah, I mean you're right because the uh, technology involved seems sort of otherworldly. Each room that they have to escape from requires obviously a particular set of skills. Man, if they just had Liam Neeson, they'd have been out of there in like ten minutes. <laughs> but then of course you've been confronted by a gray wolf, and then we'll never know. It's like the spinning top. But they have to often they have to use. Well, as you go along, you find out who has what skills, what perils lie in each room, like one where you step into a room and then acid falls on you, like the worst you can't do this on television episode of all time. And then there's, you know, one with spikes and lasers and, and what have you in every room. And so they have to unlock the puzzle from the inside to be able to escape. An interesting so, fact I just found out about this. Uh, mm -hmm. Each of the characters was named after famous prisons. Oh, so there's Levin and Worth and Quentin. Perhaps his first name is San. Kazan, <laughs> which is a famous mental hospital. Alderson, Holloway. Yeah, Renee. it's just oh, interesting. That point, it's about as it's about as subtle as you know the way that name characters in Lost. That is a really interesting 
detail that yeah. I really no, hadn't just, thought it's just about. It's fun. Yeah. No, it is. It's good. It's kind of like in, uh, was it the remake of Evil Dead, where all the characters, first letter of each of their names spells, like, was it like evil or something? It spells poop shoot. It probably does that. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. A lot of characters in that one. Lots of characters. Lots of <laughs> shitty characters. Really diverse, yeah. No, but check out Cube. Cube's a really cool movie for what it is. It's a low-budget film. It's Canadian. It stars Kids in the Hall and Deep Space Nine's own Nicole DeBauer in uh, one yeah. of her oh. early roles. Yeah. It's 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 worth a watch. It really is a, an intriguing hidden gem B-movie from that era, I mean, in an era which, like, the Matrix movies were big, and this movie was, you know, a sci-fi thriller. You know, also probably around the same time as, like, Event Horizon, which has kind of a similar tone and everything, yeah, but way yeah, bigger similar. budget. Yeah, most certainly. But uh, for its limited budget and its, you know, sort of a bottle episode of a movie, uh, it, really intriguing. I think a really fascinating thriller suspense movie kind of gory in places uh, you know they play on all the classic like nobody trusts each other and they turn on each other and then they have to you know yada yada yeah. yada but it, just like a twilight zone episode it's <laughs> like a twilight zone episode so check out cube if you can it's a it's actually a can pretty I, solid one can i inquire skip yes, yes so sir, of course. this goes into the realm of the elevator horror genre right Be- yes because each of these rooms shifts as they go along Oh, the reason I included it was because – so each room, because it's like a Rubik's Cube in that each of them shifts – well, basically all directions. But the idea is that they're trying to go up to get out of the situation. And so each of the rooms themselves operates as an elevator, you know, shifting between configurations. It's like they're in the puzzle box. They're in the Lomet configuration. So a lot of the tropes that you see in elevator horror specifically play out in situational peril. So I, I thought it was an important one to include because it's kind of thinking outside the <laughs> the box, uh, for lack of a, better, <laughs> of a better term, by, yeah, each each room as it shifts locations acts as, you know, a, sort of a cellular elevator. And if I'm wrong in that assessment, feel free. I think of it that way. There are actual like elements and in, in, in moments in the film where they some of the they're shifting between rooms. Sometimes they're not on the same level because they haven't shifted to the same elevation. And so a lot of the stuff that you see in elevator horror, those elements play out per room. So it's kind of like a modular. It's kind of a modular elevator film. A, uh, a strange thing about this film, one of the actors, Andrew Miller, was the writer, and Vincenzo Natale was also going to be the director of a television reboot of Tremors in 2018, <laughs> where they uh, supposedly filmed a pilot where this is going to be a TV movie that would spawn a series starring Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward. What? Yeah, apparently it, ne- it, it didn't get picked up. Wow, that's... But there is a pilot out there with Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward? Supposedly. Kevin Bacon announced through his Instagram account on April 27, 2018, that the show would not be moving forward as the network decided not to pick it up. Oof. Well, that's... At that well, time, however, a full pilot had been produced. Fascinating. Which means we have to track that down now. Well, I don't know if you can get that. Well, it um, used to be easier to get stuff like that, but... 
You I'll, know? I'll see what I can uh, see what these yeah. uh, fast little fingers can do. You, you see what you can you see what kind of, you, you see what you can solve that cube. See if we can get going here. And of course, there are multiple cube movies. There's Cube Two Hypercube, which you're kind of already setting yourself up for disappointment there because where can you go? And then the third film was a prequel to the first one called Cube Zero. The sequels obviously are not quite as they don't quite live up to the first one, but they're also not that bad. They don't drop off down at the elevator shaft of quality as oh. much as you'd think they would. Fascinating. In last year, there was a, it looks like Japanese remake. Really? Just called Cube. Clever. Yeah. I would be fascinated to see that, actually. We should we should definitely look at that. Maybe we'll do an episode on reviewing that one, because that, you know, an Eastside Theater Guild episode, that would be fascinating. Yeah. Let me, let me see where it's at. Do yourself a favor, just go check out Cube. If you have any sort of geek movie cred, or you consider yourself a person who watches, you know, those kinds of films... Cube's kind of a standard. You kind of have to watch Cube. It's Now, coming back to something we discussed earlier, our next film is called Devil. Oh. Mm-hmm. Directed by John Eric Dowdle. There's, there's um, definitely one I, I just wanted to get to at some point, so. Okay, well, if were, we Were you going to talk about The Shaft from 2001? I was planning on it, Okay, yes. cool. All right. But then, feel free if you... No, no, no. no I, I don't, I don't have I don't a have anything lot. to say other than that it exists. Oh. Oh, yeah, no, uh, no, I definitely, I'm pretty yeah, sure. I, I didn't know if you're going to go, I thought it might be chronologically because you like jump because the shaft is a remake of the lift. Which is also, oh. It's done by the exact same person, Dick Mass. The, the lift or lift? Oh, okay. The one okay. you talked about the first. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yes. Because there's also a movie just called Lift, and that's, a, I also talk about that one a little bit. Oh, okay. So it was just like, it's a. Uh, it just looks to be a, a remake. I mean, it's just it's it's literally an English remake with your go-to remaking foreign horror films, Naomi Watts, but it also is Michael Ironside, Dan Hedaya, Ron Perlman. Oh, does Michael Ironside lose a limb? I think he probably does. Sweet. I can either confirm or deny what Dick Mass brought us, but <laughs> hold on one second. <laughs> Taglines: Your next stop is hell. <laughs> Good. So oh, you, wow. you to, oh, this what? is fascinating. A wide theatrical release in the United States was ultimately canceled due to 9-11 terrorist attack. Oof. Although entirely co- coincidental, the film makes several references to terrorism in NYC, getting as specific as mentioning planes, hijacking, and Osama bin Laden destroying the World Trade Center. Whoa. Whoa. Hello. Somebody was in on it. <laughs> Man. Was it a Saudi-produced film? Because that'd be really funny. Al Qaeda Films crazy. presents <laughs> the Muhajadeen production. Huh. All right. And apparently, Naomi no. Watts is actually afraid of elevators. I okay. Is she is she claustrophobic? You you think? Or uh, you know, IMDb trivia is is not the most detailed. It's of, not quite uh, in the yeah. They don't really cite the AMA a lot. So, although this user review does say. <laughs> Even though it's a two-star review, the best elevator kills people movie ever. Ooh, that's a bold statement. The film uh, was also called Down. Okay, well, we'll get to that too because there are multiple elevator movies called Down. It's just that's stupid. Well, you know, what do you expect from a, from a dick mass? <laughs> I I expect a massive dick. Oh, I was thinking you get into cancer screening. From the brilliant, twisted mind 
of M. Night Shyamalan's friend, John Eric Dowdle. Hi, Dowdle. my name's John. <laughs> Can I direct your movie? Of course, it was written by Brian Nelson. Any relation? I can either confirm or deny that I have killed Brian Nelson and stolen his last name's identity. <laughs> and worn his skin as a mask. It makes me feel whole. <laughs> One day I'll have that suit complete. It stars Chris Messina of Loggins and Messina fame, <laughs> Caroline Davernis, and this is one of the greatest names I've Ooh. ever seen, yeah. Bokeem Woodbine. Yeah, I love Bokeem. B-O-K-E-E-M-W-O-O-D-B-I-N-E. Bokeem Woodbine. He's really good in that season of uh, Fargo. So, in classic M. Night Shyamalan fashion, and as people, you and I, Jake, are homers. We're Kansas City homers. We uh, have pride. We're obnoxious about it, in fact. It, M. Night Shyamalan cannot stop himself from inserting, even completely unnecessarily, Philadelphia mm. into the at least some part of the narrative thread of each of his films, even ones he produces. So in this film, which got 6.3 stars from IMDb, which is also not bad. It doesn't need that many. I I agree with you 100%. <laughs> That's not, I hate this movie, in fact. But, yeah. I gave it in, three, I just realized. That seems fair. Mm-hmm. All right. It seems fair. Detective Bowden is still grieving for his wife and son killed in a hit-and-run five years prior. When someone jumps from a skyscraper onto a truck, Bowden is sent, is sent to investigate. I don't know if there's a lot of mystery there. How'd he die? Well, you know gravity? Never Meanwhile, heard of him. <laughs> get him out of here! Meanwhile, five strangers, once again, the stranger ensemble thing, are trapped in an elevator in the building from which the jumper jumped i was paraphrasing and i, pa- I paraphrased myself into a corner uh, <laughs> <laughs> right into an elevator yeah exactly it's, it's right down the shaft the radio in the elevator of course is broken but guards Lu- lustig and ramirez observe those trapped in the elevator on cctv as events unfold tensions run high among those trapped so lustig calls the police, and Detective Bowden, who apparently doesn't have a first name in this uh, version of it, he assumes the case. Without being able to contact the individuals inside, he tries to work out who they are, but he can only account for four of them. Time is running out for the occupants, the occupants, I don't want to say occupants, because it seems like they live there, for the, 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 the visitors? Sure, the guests, I don't know, of the elevator. As Biden, Biden, wow, he's Biden's not going <laughs> to figure out anything at this point, realizes he has to get them out quickly, which you think would have just kind of always been the, don't you always think you have to get them out quickly out of the stuck elevator? Whatever. This movie is sort of classic Shyamalan adjacent. It's overly simplistic and takes itself way too seriously. The narrative, the backstories, the... The ultimate reveals are way more serious and heavy-handed than they really have any right to be. There's not a lot of substance there to justify the tone and atmosphere of the film. And it just, I mean, and honestly, it didn't... Did you ever see the trailer in the theaters or anything? I can't remember it. But I do remember seeing the trailer. It's sort of a classic Shyamalan thing where it's like, 
okay, there's people trapped in an elevator. Already not enough to carry a film, in my mind at the time, before doing research on all this stuff. And then it was called Devil. And it was like, oh, I wonder what that movie's about. <laughs> it's probably about the Kennedy assassination. Oh, wait, no, it's about the devil. It's more like an episode of a show than it is the premise for a movie. And as it turns out, you know, we weren't the only people to have that impression. Here's a here's a really great quote about it. Things have gotten so bad that when the trailer for Devil hit the theaters with the on-screen tagline from the mind of M. Night Shyamalan, guffaws were reported from audiences and online gadflies like Perez Hilton had a field day posting viral videos mocking the promos. So basically, people were just laughing at the entire premise and idea just by watching the trailer, which explains why the movie also not only sucks, but did not do very well, either critically or financially. So you can watch it. I know there are a lot of M. Night Shyamalan lovers out there. Fine. It's okay to like a movie. It's okay to like a director. As long as it's not UA Bold, more power to you. (laughs) But honestly, Shyamalan's own shtick is already, you know, had already kind of fizzled at this point. And then now he's directing sort of like pale imitations of his, not directing, but producing pale imitations of his own shtick with other people. And it's such an afterthought of an idea that really thinks it's a heavy hitting horror film that it's really sure. Go watch it, but get real high beforehand. So that it's, 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 it's more entertaining because it's really not very good. Yeah. Meh. But it is a heavy hitter in the elevator horror genre. Oh, sure. I mean, it's a direct, I mean, this is one of the best examples of elevator horror. They, in this one, it's about an elevator. Elevator is the main backdrop, but it also it's a little like like how we have to differentiate what we call Christmas movies, like with Die Hard and Gremlins, where it's like, is the elevator the backdrop? Is it a plot device? Is it a plot point? Is it the setting? Is it the point of the narrative? Like, is the elevator the protagonist or antagonist? I'd like to see where it was a protagonist. That actually would be a really interesting idea, (laughs) where you're rooting for the elevator the whole time. But in this one, it's the backdrop and also plot device at the same time. It's kind of setting up the thing, but ultimately the... I don't want to say it's a MacGuffin, but it's it's ultimately kind of just the, the setting for... It's a lot like, and I we're going to use this a lot, but like Lifeboat, the Hitchcock film, you can't have this story necessarily the way it's told, not being set in the elevator, but the elevator ultimately doesn't really play into the actual narrative thread or the twist or what have you. So, I mean, but it is firmly planted in this subgenre as actually probably one of the more direct examples of elevator horror. And since I didn't do these in any order, but taking from that, there are things that we we do have to kind of differentiate what is elevator horror and what is horror that happens to have an elevator in it. One example is the film adaptation of the video game Resident Evil from the 1990s. Ah, mm-hmm. Because in that one, elevator's not the point, even though... Elevators are crucially important because they're going underground down into a, a bunker. And the opening uh, horror scene in it, it plays a big, it's a big plot point and it's used as a plot device. 
an elevator gets stuck. You know, they're the Umbrella Corporation. It, it, look up Resident Evil if you don't know what this is, but because we don't have to explain the whole thing. But they, you know, the the secret laboratory gets uh, locked down because there's a leak of the T virus or whatever the fuck it is, and they get <laughs> some of the, some of the scientists get stuck in an elevator. And because all these systems get shut down, and so they pry open the doors, and they one of them sticks their head out to try and see what's going on, and then all of a sudden the elevator gets power again, and as it goes down, it shears the woman's head off. Okay, but then it comes back into play later as well. Uh, they have to deal with all those zombies stuck on the elevator, and they have to take the path of the elevator to get down into the bunker. And so, I would not say it's an elevator horror movie at its core. But it does have a lot of elements that are necessary for the subgenre. So it's at least worth a mention. There's a little asterisk there for that one, I feel like, at least. Yeah, I mean, you can get into – there's elevator horrors and then there's – elevator horrors genre and then there's elevator horror scenes in other films where the elevator isn't, you know, a Final Destination 2, a, a Deep Red what? from Argento, Cabin uh, in the Woods. Uh, I was going to mention, of course, Final Destination 2, but another good example of that would be The Omen 2, or Damien the, o- the Omen 2, where there's a really, like, really disturbingly graphic elevator horror scene that plays as a plot device and a plot point, but is in no way, shape, or form the driving horror of the film. It's just a set piece that plays into the narrative, which is not to diminish the horrific nature of the scene or the elevator concept, because it it is terrifying and it does fit in well. But you know, it does. It's not about the elevator. That's just a really important part of the movie. If you don't know what the Omen Two Damien is, uh, the the original Omen trilogy is actually kind of fascinating and, and really kind of baffling. The Omen, done by Richard Donner is a really great classic horror film about the birth of the Antichrist and he's a couple of adopts the Antichrist and they start to realize that he's evil. And then you go to the the Omen 2 and Damien Thorne, he's now a um, preteen. He's just figuring out who he is. He knows now that he's something like the Antichrist. He's a rapscallion up to monkey shines in <laughs> that he kills a lot of people and is trying to figure out how to, how to fulfill his destiny as the Antichrist. Watch it for that scene, because it is actually probably the most graphic scene in the movie. But also, his teacher, who's sort of guiding him, is Lance Henriksen. So we get a really young Lance Henriksen in that one. Mm. So, And then we get to The Omen 3, just so you kind of have a lay of the land. You get uh, Sam Neill as an adult Damien, who eventually realizes who he is, tries to get himself in the, you know, the presidential administration and in the end jesus comes back (laughs) spoiler alert the bible (laughs) it's a real revelation everybody (laughs) and then of course like what you mentioned earlier final destination 2 from 2003 directed by david ellis starring aj cook ali larder and the one and only tony todd ladies and gentlemen and i didn't put the other one in here but i should mention also has another great horror movie elevator scene in multiple Candyman movies, especially the the newest one. There's a a really great moment where an elevator plays a significant part of the psychological ennui of the, of the film. Tony Todd rules. It's the medical term. The Final Destination movies, for those of you who don't know, very quickly, they were pitched 
by a writer of the X-Files as an X-Files episode. But for some reason, it was rejected, and he thought he was on to something, so he shopped it around until it landed uh, in the exact right time and place where horror movies were now bigger budget, they were more mainstream, and they were appealing to the youth of the of the day. Where you, that's where you get like Scream, which is its own thing, obviously. But then you, I know what you did last summer, and that whole genre of darkly shot, shitty hairstyles, teen horror films. There are several of them, obviously, several Final Destinations, which you think, uh, you know, yeah, Final in the title, you think the first one would be it, but no. You know, where they're, the idea is that they're they're trying to escape death, you know, and they were destined, these kids were all destined to die in a specific thing that they lived accidentally or through some intervention, and then death will eventually come for them because their deaths are a fixed point in time, that kind of whole thing. So that having been said, the scene with the elevator is actually completely absurd and so random that it it's it's a weird outlier in the genre because in the scene, which you can you can find these scenes on, on YouTube, so I, I would encourage you to do so. There's the, there are these two people in the elevator with her, one of which has a cart filled with prosthetic limbs for amputees and the young woman's hair as she's trying to leave the elevator this long ponytail gets caught in the hook of one of the prosthetic limbs and then the doors close and the elevator (laughs) and the elevator you know moves and she gets her scalp ripped off and (laughs) it uh, actually probably is it her whole head gets ripped off yeah her head she gets decapitated yeah that's right yeah her whole head goes which (laughs) is like like that's not one of those ones you'd be like, "Yep, check the boxes of all these these clichés and tropes, the prosthetic limb decapitation we were always we were all waiting for." <laughs> now we're going to go to the Far East in a film called Gusha no Bendume or The Bottled Fools, also known as Elevator. Elevator. This came out in 2004. It's directed by Hiroki Yamaguchi, who also wrote it. That sounds made up. It starred Luchino Fujisaki. Luchino, really? Yeah. It is kind of awesome, actually. Yoshichi Kawada and Ryosuke Koshiba. Yeah. Koshiba, yeah. And then this one gets 5.4 stars from IMDb. This, and this also comes from a plot summary from uh, IMDb, The Bottled Fools is a dystopian future somewhat reminiscent of THX 1138. Wow, that's a specific... Okay, sure, why not? Apparently, the outside world is no longer fit for human habitation. Everyone stays indoors. Large elevators are used to get from one place to another, and communicate time on these vehicles seems to be substantial for most people. That's a confusing sentence. After dropping an illegal cigarette and running away from the police, thus starting a chain of events that culminates in a large explosion a few minutes later, man, whoever wrote this has no idea. They're all over the place with punctuation. They don't know how to use a semicolon. They don't know how to use a comma. Luchino Fujisaki, a 17-year-old telepath. So once again, we're dipping our toes into Stephen King territory here. A 17-year-old telepathic schoolgirl who has recently been released from a mental institution in spite of her ongoing violent urges and or delusions. Pick a horse. 
<laughs> enters one of the elevators. The elevator soon become a elevator. Bum bum bum. <laughs> when a young nervous police officer enters with two extremely dangerous prisoners moments before the aforementioned large explosion causes him to be distracted long enough for the prisoners to get the upper hand and wreak havoc. Somebody take an English class for God's sake. Eventually, Lucino gets a little berserk herself and kills people. As this unusual scenario plays out, each of the eight passengers involved... Oh, I'm sorry. Each of the eight passengers is involved in multiple acts of violence, and it's revealed that virtually every one of them has something to hide. So they took that ensemble. Nobody knows who the other is. We've got all these desperate elements coming together. You know, everybody's suspicious of each other. And in this one, it just kind of ramps up into ultraviolence, like they've just been to a milk bar. Yeah. Uh, a, and a, a user review said a Japanese Brazil. It, okay, it I can see sounds, that. Yeah, it sounds like they're trying to yeah. get a little a little weird with the whole thing. Yeah, it's a little absurdist. It's a little... Yeah, I can see that. One of the user reviews, th- this line I liked. Elevator is fairly well done... I'm sorry. <clears throat> Elevator is a fairly well done cyberpunk movie that makes adequate use of an unusual setting but runs out of steam just before the inexplicable ending, which we will not spoil for you, but... I think that is a relatively accurate summation of that film. And it's definitely in that vein, train spotting era. So if you want to watch something that actually feels a little out of date, it came out in 2004, but it feels like a movie that should have come out in 1998. It has a little bit of uh, natural board killers going on, a little bit of Brazil. It feels like it's squeezing that genre too hard. You know, like it's trying too hard to take the elements we see in other elevator horror films and go to the extreme. So it's, I don't know if, you know, if you're bored and you have some friends around and you've been drinking a bit, go ahead, watch it. But otherwise you could probably kind of skip that one. Yeah. I, at least it does sound different than the others. And I kind of like this like snow piercer esque, you know, Mm -hmm. future on an elevator. That sounds interesting. That's true. That's true. And since you say that in that vein, I think uh, a movie that more people need to see a film called the platform or El Hoyo from Hoyo from 2019 by Galder Gastelio Uritia. (laughs) You got that? Galder Gastelio Uritia. Written by David DeSola and Pedro Rivero. <laughs> Nailed that one. It stars Ivan Misagu and Zorian Aguilar, which is an awesome name. Zorian Aspian. And, <laughs> and then also Antonia San Juan, which is one of the best porn stars names I've ever heard. <laughs> now, <Go away. laughs> is he thinking of me? <laughs> now, if you <laughs> if you want to talk about Brazil-esque or sort of like post cyberpunk this movie is the feast <laughs> ah, i saw what this guy's doing yeah well they don't get it yet cuz i haven't explained it but they <laughs> in this movie a mysterious place an indescribable prison I feel like we should just break out into a tune from aladdin <laughs> a deep hole <gasps> yes please starring antonio san juan a deep hole <laughs> it just keeps going and go <laughs> deeper, deeper. You can put whatever chicken bones you want in there. Take the stairs. 
two inmates living on each level. It's it's a sort of prison scenario where there is a so there's a it's like a giant shaft also <laughs> and it's sort of a, a a rectangular you know ring around a moving platform. It's commentary on social class and uh, obviously also you know prison systems and things like that. So yeah, one uh, might call it a trickle down food. The movie. Oh, you know what? It's actually I didn't even think about that. You're right. It's very much like trick trickle down economics. The movie where they assumably the the top level from which it descends is an enormous opulent feast. Think about like a hook. They decide to make believe they aren't starving to death. And they have all this all this amazing well-crafted food. I like hook is the one you went for for like opulent feasts. Well, I honestly couldn't think of anything else off the top of my head. That was the first <laughs> it just popped in there. And in blunt on the nose commentary, the idea is that the platform starts out with enough food to feed everyone in the prison, but as it goes down per level, you know, the the prisoners are assigned to certain levels, the criteria of which I don't remember being clear, but I I don't think they make it necessarily clear. I think it's No, I don't think so either. I think it's just the, the idea that there are levels. So the, it starts off with enough food, this, you know, for the ones at the top, they can gorge themselves on this opulent spread that would make Queen Elizabeth blush from beyond the grave. And then it descends, and each level becomes more and more chaotic. Each level gets less food, obviously, since the, the ones above gorge themselves, so then that multiplies exponentially as you go down. And so as the platform descends, which is only a short period of time, people get desperate and grab whatever they can, utter chaos and animalistic fight for survival. But there is a whole socialist commentary. If they work together on different levels, they have a chance to all survive with enough food, but you have to fight the brutal, capitalistic, selfish instincts of the people from the upper levels. I actually really liked this movie, and it's... uh, Agreed. I think it's shot well. I think they have a really great tone and vibe. The commentary, even though kind of beating you over the head with it, works. I think it is proper sci-fi where it is using science fiction to point out social issues in a very obvious way, Mm -hmm. but using the drama and the excitement to keep it moving forward. I don't know if it's a fast-moving film, but it felt like the pacing was really good and just it moved right along. It it said exactly what it wanted to say, and it it didn't need to be extraneous or, you Mm -hmm. know, have too much frill. Well, it's a good, solid, complete film. It is. I I agree. I think it's. I think one of the reasons the pacing works so well is because it's so meted out in in specific chunks of time. In that the platform comes down only for a certain amount of time. It's like a a metronome, you know, ticking the plot along as you go. And like you're playing a video game and you're waiting for the platform over the lava to move back over to where you can jump onto it. And I think that really works for what it is anti-capitalist, anti... Well, at least anti-classist commentary that I I think works on a lot of levels. And also, it's extremely gross. 
<laughs> we should mention that. It's a really gross movie because not only is the food become slop by the end as people are tearing stuff apart, but also if there's no there are no bathrooms on those levels. So if you go, it's just straight down the platform. And so by the time you get to the bottom, the platform itself is covered in food and waste. You know, which kind of feels a little Snowpiercer-ish. It's kind of like Snowpiercer is vertical, this one's horizontal, you know? <laughs> And here are a couple of interesting facts. Let's go with the quotes, because that deals directly with what we were just talking about. The characters are Goring and Omoguri. Goring, the people above won't listen to me. Omoguri, why not? Goring, I can't shit upwards. Hmm. I think, which is very telling. Interestingly enough, the film was shot chronologically. Hmm. So the main protagonist, Ivan Masagu? Uh, yeah, maybe Masagwe? Masugwe, I think you're right. I think it's Masugwe. He actually had to lose 26 pounds over the six-week week shoot to show his physical deterioration. Going the so machinist like, route. Or, or the reverse castaway. Yeah, uh-huh. machinist for sure, yeah. And here's a quote from a review. I liked this movie and found the acting of all the actors very noteworthy. Hmm. Sounds like it was written by a bot. I, too, like films. Right. New paragraph. I'm literally quoting from this here. Fans of Snowpiercer N Cube will definitely enjoy this. <laughs> just just an N. Fans of Snowpiercer N Cube will definitely enjoy this. Hey, I also don't have room or time to write an A and a D. Like Captain Crunch. You only have so much space. Yeah, get to the F in point. Apostrophe point. <laughs> Next paragraph. One of the best part is that the director made sure that the camera doesn't linger much on the gory aspects in, once again, just an N, even the unpleasant stuff is fast-paced. What? Let me read that again. One of the best part is that the director made sure that the camera doesn't linger much on the gory aspects and even the unpleasant stuff is fast-paced. Okay. Road Scholar. Road Scholar. <laughs> I'm glad we've given them this platform to. Uh... <laughs> I do, well, I didn't name who it was on purpose. But trust me, you no, know no, what I do. You, find you, can, you can name them on purpose. They put their reviews out there. Let's go back in time a little bit to one of the earliest. It's a time tunnel. This is one of the earliest examples of this genre. It's a movie from 1964 called Lady in a Cage. This was directed by Walter Grauman, and it was written by Luther Davis. And it stars the great Olivia de Havilland, a super young Jimmy Kahn, and Jennifer Billingsley. Synopsis. Recuperating from a broken hip sustained four months prior, a wealthy, I'm sorry, wealthy Cornelia Hilliard had a portable elevator installed temporarily in the home she shares with her 30-year-old son, Malcolm Hilliard. Wow, he sounds like a winner. Shortly after Malcolm leaves for the extended 4th of July weekend during the summer heat wave, Cornelia gets trapped in the elevator when a short circuit occurs, the front graded elevator car hovering approximately 10 feet above her living room. She barks, she drools, she growls. (laughs) It's funny, it says here 10 feet above her living room foyer, even though a foyer is a separate room from a living room, but let's not get into semantics. And it is pronounced foyer. Go fuck yourselves, everybody. She only having access to those few items she brought into the elevator with her. 
beyond those items on her person, a book, a transistor radio, her cane, and a vase containing containing a single flower, no metaphor there, all her efforts go out to using the elevator's emergency functions only attracted the wrong elements, i.e. vile droogs. As two associated but disparate groups break into her house, initially with the sole purpose of robbing her of everything, but they, they are only able to do so partly, this is so horribly written, they are able to do so partly in being able to conduct their business out of her view. So essentially, people show up to rob her when they find out that this happens, but then there are two different gangs that show up to try and do so, and then, you know, hilarity ensues. Now, this is probably the best of the movies we're talking about today. Here's a review. Tense, unpleasant, claustrophobic, sadistic, and scary urban tale. An outstanding and impressive performance from Jimmy Kahn. James Kahn. Tell you guys out there don't know him, you know? I don't know. I'm I'm watching him right now, and he's uh, he's looking like a little Jimmy Kahn right now. (laughs) Let's uh, put a pin in that for later. The story shows the lack of attention and sympathy of urban populations, the violence of criminals against their victims, and very ahead of its time for a 1964 movie. I don't know, watch Clockwork Orange. I recalled the also claustrophobic and excellent 1955 The Desperate Hours, but Lady in a Cage is a more realistic, frightening, and brutal, and has not aged. That's a terrible review, a terribly written review, but the point well taken. It is kind of like the ground floor for this for this genre. <laughs> and I do have some others I would like to get to. I don't know if I'm going to have time to. For instance, there's an Italian zombie film, not you're used to from Italian zombie films, <laughs> called The End. Question mark? The End? Question mark. From 2017, I've actually seen it a couple of times now, mostly because I forgot I had watched it once before when I watched it the other night. It's directed by Danielle. You know what? I'm not even going to bother with that. It's it's Italian. Can you say? Mm-hmm. I mean, you took Italian. Maybe you'll help with that. Yeah, but well, I gotta. I'm trying to find. Oh, that does look. Yeah. Uh, the director, Danielle Misic. Who? See. <laughs> Misicia. Misichia. Yeah, I can see, I can see Misichia. And then uh, written by Cristiano Ciccotti. Ciccotti. And, yeah. And mm-hmm. Danielle Misichia. I guess it could be Misichia. But yeah, I, it could I don't be. Know. Now, it obviously isn't as highly ranked as some of the other movies we were talking about, but I actually enjoyed it. It's flawed. It's extremely flawed. And it, I don't, I don't even, rem- I think it fizzles out because I don't even remember the ending and I've seen it twice. But it's. Uh, it's kind of the classic setup of good modern zombie outbreak films. The premise is that Claudio, the main character, is a businessman at the top of his game. On his way to an important meeting, his elevator gets a stuck, huh? About a boopy. What a start of the mere technical difficulty turns out to be a catastrophe of much larger proportion. Bit by bit, and with his cell phone being the only source of information as he is trapped... Between the floors, Claudio realizes that the world as he knew it is a completely gone down the drain. What? Once a familiar faces are turned savage and her blood is smeared. A little virus is transforming peoples into highly contagious, homicidal zombies. Trapped inside the metal cage with the ravenous ghouls out to get him, Claudio must rely entirely on his wits and survival instincts to break out of this hell on earth. 
I'd like to formally apologize to all Italians, Italian to all Italian speakers, uh, to everyone who heard this. Uh, I'm sorry from the bottom of my cold and dead heart to all of you. you no take backsies. That? And this is the best part. Jake took Italian in college. See, <laughs> I took French. So now this one is. I mean, kind of a classic elevator horror film in that the in, almost the entire film takes place either on the elevator in which he is stuck or in between floors of the building, the elevator being both the trap and refuge for those trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. The movie itself is, mm, it's a little tired, it's kind of been done before, but it's an enjoyable watch, at least for the first, like, two-thirds of it. The idea that he's stuck in this thing with no hope and the world collapsed around him might lead to his death. It's also the only place he can safely be from the incoming horde of the undead. And Because it's also, it looks like it's like between floors and partially open. Yes, and that becomes a big plot point because there are people who try and like reach him and try and get to him, but then they can't, and and a lot of them end up dying, and then also eventually zombies know he's in there, and so he's safe as long as he stays where he is. Good idea for a film, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Execution-wise, not great, but yeah, I mean, concept it's a good example. That's why I watched it. It's a good example of an interesting premise. The storyline said that, quote, he was trapped in a metal cage, ellipses. I'd say that, quote, the guy was lucky to be in that metal cage. Next paragraph. Boring. <laughs> you know what? Great example of the entire premise, honestly. And there are a few I'd like to get to that we're not going to be able to, we don't have time to discuss. Just, like, just throw um, names. Just quick. The Elevator Game. It's out in 2022. It came out like two months ago. And, oh, and I don't think anyone's new. ever seen it. There's a movie from China from 2013 that doesn't have a lot of information, mostly because you you can't see a lot of it. A lot of stuff is censored in China. So it's called Lift to Hell. And the premise says that a killing spree takes place in a northern China hospital. An old elevator goes to the 18th floor underground. And that's it. All right. And then and then, of course, Lift from 2021 which is described as a haunted office, a patterned game unlocks a mystery and a lift is their only way out. This is Indian and it's directed by a guy named Vineeth. That's it. Huh. huh. And it, st- it stars a guy named Cavan. This is his only, this is the only thing he's ever done. Writer, really? producer, director of Lyft. Let me just read the review from this since there really is no information for it. Quote, I strictly recommend you, just the letter U, all to watch at night, comma, alone, no spaces, with headphones connected. Starting one half hour was so scary, and those sound effects were crazy. Emoji? (laughs) I literally got scared in few scenes. Few scenes from this movie, D-I-S, are, the letter R, based on real life incidents. Hmm. These reviews are pretty good. So there's one says it says horror entertainer. Uh, again, every single word of this, it's capitalized. Just the first <laughs> letter. Movie really came out very well, comma. Cavan's acting is a pillar of this movie, comma. Some of his expressions, ultimate, comma. Amrita acting too good. Both of them carried whole movie without any bore moments. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Period. Nailing it. <laughs> it continues. Good story, comma, concept and cinematography. 
I really liked D, D-E, concept of dis movie, and even ders, D-E-R-S, a good MSG in this movie for IT sector and for all other employees spelled M-P-L-O-Y-E-S-S, working in private companies. Kevin hmm. gave his best performance in this movie, but Emrita Iyer, parentheses, heroine, didn't act properly. I wasn't satisfied by her acting. Rest, everything was good. Hmm. Amazing. And then, that one actually got seven stars, but I don't know how many, out of how many reviews, but. And uh, then a movie. Out of 3.2 thousand. Wow. Okay. Well, I, then apparently it's a decent watch. And then another honorable mention is a movie called Rising Wolf from 2021. Young environmentalist wakes trapped, kidnapped, bad punctuation in all of these, in an elevator of a super high-rise building at the mercy of her tormentors. I have seen it. I thought it was boring. It oh, didn't really get to the... That's too bad. Whatever. It's whatever. Here's a review from it. Honestly, ellipses, I've been waiting to see this movie forever because I have been wanting to see something new with Charlotte Best, who's the main character, the uh, protagonist. But one, I couldn't stay focused to this movie to get an actual account for the plot, which left me totally confused as to what I just watched. There's no two. It just says, okay, she's something special, but W2F, is she? Future Avenger? Soon to be member of the Legion of Doom? And that's it. What? I'm really confused. What does I have that no idea mean? what that, I have no idea, but now I'm intrigued that he just dropped Adventures in the Legion of Doom references. Very, very confused. <laughs> Finally, our, I think our last mention is a movie called Four Stories of St. Julian from 2010. The film follows four strangers who become trapped in the elevator of St. Julian, a decrepit inner city building. An assassin, a religious zealot, a mother, and a thief all walk into a bar. Now, just moments after being confined, it, it becomes clear that one of them is mortally wounded. As the minutes tick by, a battle for survival ensues where each of them is forced to examine their sordid ties to St. Julian the building, <laughs> like, like Chance the Rapper, as well as the legacy of the religious figure. That really told us nothing. It's directed by Shane Thewson, who that's also, also wrote it. Yeah, that's his single writer and director credit. That's it. This is a passion uh, project for him. Stars Kai Evans, David David Allen Graff, not no relation to David Allen Greer, and Nicole Hyron. Only ninety four uh, people rev have reviewed this on IMDb, oof, and it still only has four point three stars. Here's a uh, review: Dull. I suppose you don't get much for a hundred thousand dollars in the movie business. Wow, but wow. I'm sure I could do better than this. The writing is very weak, the acting abysmal, bordering on funny, and there's no tension or mystery to keep you hooked. That's not a ringing endorsement. If you're going to shoot an entire movie in an elevator, then you need a lot more than this to offer here. One has to wonder why they bothered making it, or indeed how anybody was was persuaded to finance it. Well, for $100,000, I don't think it was that tough. There are hundreds of thousands of films, and most have something more to offer. Wow, of all films? That's a bold statement. Unless you happen to be related to one of the actors, I use the term loosely, by the way, actors was misspelled, I really wouldn't waste your time on this one. So, food for thought, everyone. Cool. <laughs> so, in summation, the subgenre of the elevator horror is a surprisingly diverse and populated subgenre. 
And I think the reason that it has staying power is because of the fact that it feeds into so many primal fears, some even incongruous with each other. It's something we all think about every Mm -hmm. time we get in an elevator. What if something goes wrong? What's worst case scenario? You're stuck in a metal box Mm -hmm. that you have no control of and it goes up or down. It could snap. You could fall. Anything could happen in this elevator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's easily identifiable. And for a wide variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. I think that the being suspended is a big deal where you are helpless and you have no control of your surroundings, which ties into agoraphobia. But you're also enclosed in 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 a confined space, which obviously plays into claustrophobia. And whatever horrors are happening outside, you you have the potential to feel both safe from them, but also tormented by them. And I think it kind of makes it a, a unique subgenre that I think most people sort of overlook. Yeah. No, I, I applaud you for this uh, niche genre. You brought stuff to my attention I didn't know about. Yeah, same with your animal one. I'm glad we did them as separate episodes. Uh-huh. Check out some of the films we've talked about in both of these episodes thus far. Make sure you watch Roar and Cube. Those are both things that I think you should all put yourself through. <laughs> yeah, if you do like this, you'd like more, please hit the like button on whatever app you're at. If you want to subscribe to get more of this fantastic content, quote unquote, if you'd like to promote us a bit, that'd be cool too. You can share it to those you think might be interested. And if you'd like to write a a little five-star review on whatever podcatcher you use, that would greatly help our visibility and spread the word about us. Spread the good word! Do all those things Jake said. And uh, from Dispatch Ajax – oh, no, no. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, to (laughs) – Sorry, I know, I gotta... You, you said you wanted me to do an end cap, so we're doing an end cap. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to support your local comic shops and retailers. And from Dispatch Ajax, we would like to say, Godspeed, fair wizards. Please, go away. 